You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Three-one pitch, swing and a drive, deep to right field, way up there, way out of here. Goodbye, baseball. Eight strikeouts for the King tonight, and make it. 23 consecutive scoreless innings for Phoenix. Strike three called on the outside corner, and there it is. It's time for the Seattle Mariners baseball podcast. Kyle Seager, that just happened. Thank you very much. Now, here's your host, Gary Hill. Welcome back to the Seattle Mariners baseball podcast. Gary Hill back with you. Thanks for being here once again. As the calendar has almost turned to February, yes, the same month, those beautiful words, pitchers and catchers, as we get closer and closer. And my sense is, I was at FanFest over the weekend, I saw a few of you there, hopefully you all made it out to FanFest, it was a great weekend, the crowds were outstanding, but I am sensing a lot of enthusiasm for this season, I'm sensing uh, high expectations for this season, it was a lot of fun to see it kind of play out over the weekend at FanFest. So, with that in mind... Uh, a couple of people suggested this or asked for this, uh, that I would podcast the Dugout Dialogues, which were sensational over the weekend. There was a lot, obviously. If I podcast them all, this would be like a four-hour podcast. So what I've done is I've picked out a few highlights from Dugout Dialogue, and then I will play the entire Jerry DePoto and the entire Scott Service for you as well. So you can. Uh, this is the FanFest podcast. There'll be one coming up uh, probably tomorrow, if not the day after as well, as we're going to start diving in. You know, with all the attention that obviously uh, focus has been with the Mariners and what they've done this offseason, we're going to take a look at what has the rest of the AL West done this offseason. It's an easy thing to lose track of with as busy as the Mariners have been. So that's going to come up. Let's get to it, though. Let's start with Edgar Martinez, his portion of Dugout Dialogue. He talked about uh, the Hall of Fame and why he thinks he's been getting closer and closer. Obviously, Junior mentioning my name and uh, that I deserve to be in the Hall of Fame helped a lot. What uh, also Randy Johnson mentioned, uh, guys like Pedro Martinez, Mariano, uh, make comments about it. I think that helped. Also, the uh, cybermetrics, I think, is helping. Yeah. Uh, Writers uh, are behind those numbers now, and it uh, looks like it's, it's helping. And one of the great moments from over the weekend, Gene Segura, the new Seattle Mariners shortstop, his reaction when he found out he was being traded to the Mariners. When you found out you have been traded to the Mariners, how long did it take you to realize you're going to be playing next to your friend Robinson Cano? <laughs> <laughs> Love it, right? I love. It. I was sleeping when they called me. It was like, like, one o'clock in the morning in Dominican when they make that call and tell me, "Hey, you, you're gonna try to mine." I said, "What? Okay. Now I'm gonna stay with Robbie, Nelly, Seeger. Now I can play baseball." <laughs> Drew Smiley, another new Mariner. Man, I was I was excited. Um, I saw a few rumors throughout the offseason, and when I finally got the call, I was just ready to get things going. Um, Seattle's got a great team. Jerry's been very active this offseason, getting the team that he wants, and 
We're going to have a great defense. We have a really good veteran starting starting line rotation, and I'm looking forward to it. And now Ivani Gallardo, veteran big leaguer. First of all, I'm very excited. You know, I'm excited to join these guys and uh, be a part of this rotation. You know, obviously being on the other side of the dugout for the past couple of years and watching these guys compete, it's, uh, it's pretty impressive. As far as for myself, I think last year for me, we all know it was, uh, it was a little bit of a tough year for me. You know, with the injury, missing a couple months, but... You know, we'll put that in the past. We're looking forward to this year and preparing myself and uh, 100% and looking forward to this year. Danny Valencia. You know, the atmosphere has always been great and uh, Safeco Field's one of them, uh, probably one of my favorite, if not my favorite, uh, stadium to play in the big leagues. So every time I've come here, I've enjoyed it. The city's always been great. And uh, I'm, I'm lucky enough now that this is like the, the home office, really. I fit in pretty good here. I'm excited to be here and it's a team that's, you know, obviously, as you saw from last year at the very end, on the cusp of doing some pretty uh, special things. So hopefully uh, myself and Mitch here can contribute to that. And now here's Jerry DePoto, Mariners general manager. Right now I'd like to uh, introduce the general manager for your Seattle Mariners, Mr. Jerry DePoto. Welcome What's to that? Dugout Dialogue. That's spring awesome training photo. is just, uh, man, a few weeks away. But for you, when do you go down to spring training? Uh, February 8th. Holy ready to smokes. Go. Are you ready to go down to Peoria, Arizona, get this thing started? Yeah. All right. It's going to be a lot of fun. Jerry, tell the folks a little bit about uh, your offseason. Have you been busy the last four or five months? Or what's, what's been going on with this ball club? I'm bored. I want to go play. That's, uh, there's, or watch others play. It's been a great offseason. We've had so much fun uh, over the course of the last few months. But even just dating back over the last 15, 16 months since uh, late season 2015, we've had so much change. I think the change has been really positive. I know it's resonated with our players. They're having fun. I think you as the fans get to see how much fun they're having. Uh, probably the thing I'm proudest of, of all that we've been able to do in the, in the time that I've been here, is that last season we played, uh, we played 927 games as an organization from the Dominican Summer League to Seattle. Yeah. And not until the final Sunday game of our season here with the Mariners did we play one that didn't have playoff implications. So pretty excited about the, the fact that we have introduced what I believe is a winning culture. And now we've got a group of players that are ready to go, and I'm excited to watch them do their thing. I can't wait. Every game was relevant last year until that 162, that last game of the year. These guys got back in the playoff hunt with that eight-game winning streak. And Seven clubs in the Mariners minor league system made it to the playoffs last year. So a lot to look forward to. Jerry, tell us a little bit about the dynamics of the ball club. Uh, you acquired Gerard Dyson, Gene Segura. You already have Leonis Martin who can run. What are we going to see as far as the style of play of the club that you put together and the style of play that Scott's going to manage this year? Well, you know, we, we talked about even dating back to September of 2015, we wanted to be uncomfortable to play against. We wanted to have a little bit of an edge. We wanted to have a little bit of speed. We wanted to have the ability to create some chaos on the field. And, and unfortunately, you can't just snap your fingers and make that happen. So, you know, over the course of the last two seasons, we've been able to methodically make some roster changes that I, you, I think you're going to enjoy the way we play. Last year, we, we were the third-ranked team, or we were third in the American League in runs scored. We were third in the American League in ERA. We don't think we've taken away from our ability to score runs or to, to prevent runs. We think we've enhanced it. And along the way, part of that enhancement is what I think is a much improved team defense. 
Yeah. Last year we were we were simply one of the worst defensive teams in the American League, and and this year we should be significantly better. I think you've met Gerard Dyson. Uh, he is one of the the top, if not the top, defensive outfielders in all of baseball. He can really run. In addition to what he does in the outfield at all three spots, he makes he makes us much different on the bases. Uh, yeah. He has shown us what speed do, <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, I think that's a that's a fun thing. With Leonis Martin, Gerard Dyson, and Gene Segura, who's also a 30-40 stolen base threat, hitting 9-1-2 and two in our lineup, I think that is exciting to watch what they can do in setting the table for what we know is a really incredible middle of the order with Cano and Cruz and Seager. And so we feel like we've created a deeper team. We don't feel like we've taken away from our power because we brought in Danny Valencia. We do have young Dan Vogelbach, who we feel is going to hit for some power as the season goes along. And we also have a full season of Mike Zanino, who, if you think Mike Zanino doesn't have power, come out to the ballpark at about 4.30 and watch him hit balls out of the stadium. And be careful if you're sitting in Edgar's Cantina's first at bat last year when he came up from Tacoma, hit a line drive right into somebody's margarita. And it was, it was a hit hard. Then he hit another home run in, the, in his first game. He had two of them. All right, let's have some fun for Jerry. Uh, we got a lot of questions. We got some wireless microphones. Out there, where are they? Where's my wireless microphone people? Uh, we got way up there. Susan, you got somebody. Hi, Jerry. I'm Lars. How do I get drafted by the Mariners? <laughs> <laughs> you got to know somebody. I think, how old are you? Eight. You're eight? Eight. Give me about ten years and start switch hitting now. And if, the, if you can, I'll give you the same option that I gave Gerard Dyson when we acquired him from Kansas City a few weeks back. I asked him, you know, about where he preferred to play in the outfield. He said, I'll play anywhere you want me to play as long as we win. I said, can you pitch? So if you can pitch, you got a much better chance. Getting to the big leagues is the same as getting to play at Carnegie Hall. Practice, 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 right? Have fun, though, along the way. Yeah. Right over here, Rick. What was the number one reason why you made that Segura trade? The number one reason was probably Gene Segura. <laughs> he is a, uh, Gene Segura, I, I had the pleasure while I was with the Angels of having Gene as a minor league player. I've traded him once before because that, that's, that's what I do. But <laughs> Gene, as a matter of fact, I'll tell you a quick funny story. You know, Gene, I, in 2012, I acquired Zach Greinke from the Brewers in, a, in the midst of a playoff race and part of the price of business was that Gene Segura wound up going to the Brewers in the deal and when we acquired Gene the, the night before Thanksgiving this past uh, well in, in this past Thanksgiving in November uh, I called him and I said Gene it's Jerry DePoto and his response was ha, I didn't think I'd hear from you again and uh, he's pretty excited to be here Gene Gene last year had a breakout year he's 26 years old going on 27 had an MVP-type season for the Diamondbacks last yeah. year. He did something last year that only five players in this century have ever done. He, he had a 200-hit season with a 300 batting average, 20 homers, 30 stolen bases, 40 doubles, and 100 runs scored. Uh, it's a pretty phenomenal year. Yeah. And he did it all playing in the middle of the infield. He can really throw. He can create havoc on the bases with those other guys we talked about. And in addition to Gene Segura, that trade brought us a right fielder by the name of Mitch Hanniger, who I think you've had a chance to meet. Mm -hmm. We're really excited about Mitch and what he can bring to the table. He's an athletic guy who can really play defense. 
had an unbelievable year last year between three levels. We feel like he's ready for the challenge in the big leagues. He'll be our primary right fielder. And we also picked up a, a small left-handed pitcher. And I say small, he's a short guy with long hair who strikes everybody out. And his name is Zach Curtis. He was, he was moved last year from Class A to the big leagues uh, in just his first full season in pro ball. So we're, the, the likelihood is Zach will compete for a spot in spring training, but he'll join our player development system and give us something to look forward to down the line. How tall is Zach? Uh, Zach, as I, Zach makes you look like the Jolly Green Giant. I my like friend. it. I want this guy on the team. Ah, uh, right here. How old were you when you started playing baseball? Uh, I was, I was probably just a little taller than Rick. <laughs> he was about five. <laughs> Yeah, I was. I, I started playing baseball when I was five. Um, I, I grew up in the Northeast, and my great-grandfather had a farm not very far from, the, from the, the Hall of Fame in Cooperstown. So I had a chance to, at a very early age, I was exposed to the history of the game. I loved it, and, uh, and I, still to this day, I'm a bit of a baseball history junkie. So I started playing Little League like everybody else. At about five or six years old, I was playing t-ball, and, and I never stopped. Uh, as a matter of fact, the day they told me I couldn't play anymore, I cried. And, and then I started Aww. doing this and realized it was probably just as good a job as the one I had before. Jerry played for the Tom's River Little League team. You guys went to the Little League World Series, didn't you? Or yeah, I was, I was fortunate enough. I grew up in, in a town called Tom's River, New Jersey. And uh, we, I, I believe, are to date the only Little League to have, the only Little League team in the United States to ever have won the Little League World Series twice. So uh, we, had, we had a really good baseball tradition in our town. And uh, when, I was a, when I was in high school, I actually pitched on a high school summer league team where we had five pitchers. And this is, we had five pitchers, no, not necessarily starters or relievers, just five pitchers. And all five of them wound up pitching in the big leagues. Wow. From a high school team in central wow. New Jersey. Go figure. You played little league baseball, young lady? There's. No. You, okay, Monet also. Davis. Remember a couple of years ago, Monet Davis? Perhaps you will be the one that we draft in, in about yeah. 10 years. <laughs> with, with that young man up there. Okay, we got a question. Yep. Uh, we got one right up here. Uh, yes, when are we going to get Jamie Moyer as a pitching coach? <laughs> Jamie is actually, it's a funny question, and I, I'm not entirely sure where that came from. Jamie Moyer comes with us to spring training as a, as a pitching coach. So uh, he came last year. Jamie's got he's an incredible font of information on pitching. He's got great ideas. He's got honestly the thing I think Jamie enjoys most is the, the mental side of the game, the psychology of the pitcher. And last year he was with us in camp for about 10 days. We expect that he'll be there again this year. Actually, we've texted back and forth to set it up. I don't think he's interested in a full time gig, but. You know, we'll have him for a number of years as part of the, the Mariner family. That's why we named the pitching award after him, so we could suck him back in every year. And I tell you what, Jerry has a great one right now. Mel Stunnelmeyer Jr. did a great job his first year here. As you know, he grew up in the Pacific Northwest, you know, over in Prosser and Mabton there, the great Stunnelmeyer family. Mel Sr., you from over there? Are you guys? Uh... Oh, oh, yeah? So, uh, uh, Jr. did a great job. I call him Jr. Mel Stunnelmeyer Jr. did a great job. And will continue to do so. Yes. What will be your strategy of getting your team to the playoffs? There's hopefully you just saw it. <laughs> you know, hire a good manager who really builds a culture, a coaching staff that is is hard working and 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 adept at teaching. I think we have those things. 
and then put together a team that has defensive ability. I, I think I touched on it earlier. We, we scored a lot of runs last year. We, we did prevent a lot of runs last year. We were not good on the bases, and we were not good defensively. Hopefully, we solved those two things. And, and I, I said last night when I was asked the question, you know, how are you going to, to get to the point where, where when you get into the middle of the season and your starters are out there and it's number 10 and 12 and last year 13 different starting pitchers, that's going to happen inevitably. You know, the, the way we did it was we went out and we acquired 14 starting pitchers who've started a major league game, and, you know, and we got six center fielders who can go run it down when they hit it in the air. We just got to figure out how to keep it on this side of the fence. And, and then I think we got a really good chance. Right up front here, Rick. All right. How about right over here in the front Hello? row? Must be in the front row. Who, who are you most interested in getting in a trade next? Who am I most interested? I wish I could tell you. But I'm pretty sure it will be on social media in about two minutes. <laughs> and I might be, I might be heavy. <laughs> uh, right over here. Hi there. We have heard that you have hired a new team of mental skills specialists. What do they do? They excel at teaching mental skills. Good answer. Yeah, you know, we, we did. We, we actually have, uh, as most of you may know, we, our farm director, Andy McKay, who did a fabulous job last year. We just talked about the exploits of our, our farm system. Andy is by trade a sports psychologist. He was a 16 years a college baseball coach who also is a sports psychologist, went to the Colorado Rockies and ran their mental skills program. We called it Peak Performance. And we started our own program last year. Andy oversaw the development of the program. We've since created a department. I, I think we'll go into this year with one of the three biggest mental skills groups in baseball. We've hired a group of individuals who will stay with our minor league clubs year-round. And we hired a, a fellow by the name of Darren McMains, who is running. He first ran the mental skills program for the San Francisco Giants through 2014. Uh, he's, he's privileged enough to have won a couple of three World Series rings. <laughs> and, uh, and Darren was, we brought him over. He was running the mental skills programs at Notre Dame, uh, the University of Notre Dame. And what our mental skills people do is they, they, they teach our kids, how, our players, how to maintain balance through the 162-game season. Baseball is a marathon. It's, it, it is played every day. There are highs and there are lows. And I think what you saw last year, for those who watched our, our season develop, Kyle Seeger, Kyle Seeger got off to a terrible start in, in April. And Kyle's one of the best players in the big leagues. He's phenomenal. The consistency is unbelievable. You could write it in in a pen what he's going to do. And all of the last April, he just came up flat. And, and what Kyle didn't do was he didn't panic. And our mental skills group is there to make sure that our, our players understand how to get through the rigors, how not to panic, how to put themselves in position to succeed every day, and in a game of confidence, how to stay at the high end of the confidence. And, and we're pretty excited about the group we have and what they're able to do day in and day out with our players. Yogi Berra once said, baseball is 80% mental, the other 50% is physical. <laughs> Something like that. I All right, right up front. So you said you're a baseball history junkie. I am too. So I think it's super cool that you grew up by Cooperstown. So who, who did you look up to? Who was, who was your person, I guess, growing up when you were playing? Uh, my person? Uh, my, no, my, I mean, my, my favorite players. I grew up a Mets fan. Uh, and, the, the, and I had the great privilege of actually getting to play for the Mets. And, 
it was a it was awesome. My favorite player as a kid was Tom Seaver, and it's a I was a front runner, I guess. But I rooted for the Mets, so I guess that that leveled it out. And in the end, uh, I I think baseball is a game that really connects generations. It, yeah. it it's a it's a family game where you can watch it as a group. You follow it day to day. All the years of of reading box scores in the newspaper, getting so excited when they played the All Star game. It's 1977, 78. Getting to see Mariners players, you know, mm-hmm. in a different uniform in a part of the country that I'd never yeah. been to, and. It's, it's a really cool game to watch over such a long period of time and connect the history. I've had the privilege of meeting most or all of my heroes. I, I've had the, the great privilege of, in some cases, getting to play against them, which is a, a really unique thing. And players like Tom Seaver, Nolan Ryan, I was a big fan of John Matlack, who was a left-hand pitcher with the Mets in the 70s, Jerry Kuzman. And, and I love the players. I love the game. I've had – I'll tell a quick story because why not? We have nowhere else to go. Um, I had a, once I retired as a player and I started working in front offices, I was on the, the board of directors for the Major League Baseball Alumni Association. And on that board of directors was Tom Seaver, Tug McGraw, now, now the late Tug McGraw, who was an, also a favorite of mine, and Jerry Kuzman, uh, all part of the Mets in the 70s and, and now 60s and 70s. I have a brother who's about a year and a half younger than I am, and I was at the very first board meeting, and I'm sitting there at the, at the board table with these three great Met legends and Brooks Robinson, and, I, and I'm looking around the table, and we, we divvy up, we're going to go to dinner, and I happened to have a Suburban that, that I was driving, and uh, I said, I'm driving. So into my car piles Tom Seaver, Tug McGraw, Jerry Kuzman, and it was right about the time that, you know, at the, uh, my brother was, was starting his family. He's at home. He's eating dinner. I, I pick up the, the cell, and I said, guys, I hope you don't mind this. I dialed up my brother, and I said, hey, I'm getting ready to go to dinner, and you're not going to believe who's in my car. And he said, who? And I told him, and he said, get out of here. And I said, no, and I passed the phone along to all three, and they talked to my brother, and he got on the phone. He said, I hate you, man. <laughs> That's awesome. My favorite player growing up was Jerry DePoto. As a kid growing up, I, I, I really enjoyed watching him as a kid. Looked up, I look up to everybody, really. We have one more question. One more question, right over here. After trading away such a solid number two hitter in Seth Smith, how are we planning to fill that spot in the lineup? Well, the, the question, it went pretty quick. So I think it was after we traded solid number two hitter Seth Smith, how do we plan on filling that spot? It's probably going to be Gene Segura, who we feel pretty solid about. Uh, you have met, uh, the, I think, the bottom and top of our lineup. Uh, talked to Scott a lot about it. Our our plan is, for the most part, especially against right-hand pitchers, that Leonis Martin will hit ninth, that, that Gerard Dyson is likely to lead off, that Gene Segura will hit second, and that'll get us into Cano and Cruz and Seeger. And then some combination of Danny Valencia, Vogelbach, and Hanniger will hit sixth and seventh, depending on who we're facing. And then we'll get into Mike Zanino, and it's a it's a pretty well-balanced lineup. We think it has power and speed, and we like the fact that there's right-left balance throughout. That's a nice lineup, Jerry. All right, it's time for one final question, Jerry, which is going to come from our Alaska Airlines free chat tech submissions. Let's take a look at Mariner's vision behind us. Jerry, other than the Drew Smiley trade, what deal provided the most obstacles when trying to finalize the trade? Wow. Wow. Scott will be the first to advocate for this, having been with me for a number of years. Well, I, we make more trades than anybody. We, we, we're, we're, we're invested in the trade business. And I've said this before today, and, and, I, and I don't mean it as a joke. 
we trade because that's what we prefer to do. It, you know, the, when you can isolate on specific targets and, and see the perfect fit for your team, it makes more sense for us than free agency. We wanted to get athletic. We wanted to get better defensively and on the bases. We wanted to be more agile. In order to do that, you have to get, and we wanted to get younger. Those aren't really players that are available via free agency. So we, we identify targets, and then we go out and try to make trades. This year, we were able to acquire most of them. I would say Drew Smiley was the most difficult for us to acquire, and we had to dance around a lot and, and navigate through multiple teams to get there. Uh, the other one, frankly, as we went through the offseason and we were, we were setting up targets, we had to come up with a backup catcher plan. Chris Iannetta left us after a one-year stint. We wanted to bring in a veteran catcher, and we had spent most of the second half of last season already engaging with teams that we thought had catchers that would fit for us, but we didn't want to give up a lot of prospect capital to make it happen. So trying to find the, the right fit, fortunately for us, and it was one of the very first deals we were able to do, but we had to connect the dots with a team that matched up with the players we had that we were willing to move, and we were able to bring in Chu Truiz for Vinal Nuno. And to bring in a catcher like that who can give leadership and provide assistance for Mike Zunino and really balance this out without tapping into our prospect system, I, I really was, it was a good one, and it was not easy for us to do. He's done a great job, and uh, it's going to continue. Can't wait for spring training. Can't wait for the opener in Houston. Can't wait for the home opener here on April the 10th. Ladies and gentlemen, Mariners GM, Jerry DePoto. And Mariners skipper, Scott Service. All right, well, let's get to the man of the hour right now. We met him last year. He did a sensational job ushering the Mariners to a very successful season. He's, of course, back for year number two, looking for a playoff run this year. Let's give a big safe go field round of applause for manager Scott Service. No, it's, it's, it's great to be back in town, and uh, the weather's warming up, and I think we're about 10 days away from, from me going to Peoria, so I'm getting ready to go. Man. Now, for most Mariners fans, I'd have to think that the offseason has been a long one, waiting for baseball to start up again, waiting for spring training and then opening day. What has the offseason felt like for you? Well, it actually goes very quick. Uh, you know, once the season gets done, you usually take you know, a few weeks, kind of unwind, and it's kind of hard. You get so locked into routine, routine. So when it's over, and especially how our season ended last year, we all thought we were going to take that next step to the playoffs. And when it gets over that first Monday and you have nowhere to go, it's a little bit you know, eye-opening. But uh, it's been great. Got a chance to uh, travel, uh, visit with my family some around the country, and actually stop in and see some of our players here recently. Before we talk about that, you mentioned last season, September was an incredible month for the Mariners. Uh, a, a, a lengthy winning streak, which really helped to propel the Mariners into a very realistic playoff conversation. What do you remember most about last September? Well, I think our team pulled together. Uh, and we really, you know, all the things we did throughout this season, we had some great wins and we had some gut-wrenching defeats uh, along the way, but our, our team really hung in there and persevered and it paid off. You know, we got influx of some fresh pitching uh, in September, you know, Scribner and some other guys uh, were able to get a second wind and, and really, you know, it was fun to have that type of run. Like I said earlier, we all expected to make the playoffs and unfortunately just came up a little short. So tell us a little bit about your journeys this offseason visiting some players. We know some, uh, some of those visits were domestic, some were international. Yeah, about two weeks ago, um, went over to South Florida, met with Leonis Martin and, and some of the, our Cuban players there, uh, Miranda and uh, Heredia, and then met with Danny Valencia, uh, first base, third base outfit that we just acquired, and then I continued on to the Dominican Republic. Uh, the trip to Dominican was a little bit different this time. Uh, I actually wanted to go to Nelson Cruz's hometown. So uh, I went 
different part of the Dominican and, and got a chance to see Nelson and Robbie and Segura came up there, uh, along with a few uh, ex-Mariners stopped in to say hi, which uh, Joel Peralta and Joaquin Benoit. So it was an interesting trip. I uh, had a lot of fun, but it, more importantly, it, it's good to show players, I think, to you're willing to give back and find out and connect more with those guys in the offseason. So, Scott, earlier in the week on the Hot Stove Show, we had Danny Valencia on, and we asked him about his meal with you and having a chance to meet his new skipper. And Danny was really humbled and very appreciative of your visit. He thought that that was just awesome, that his new skipper would come to Miami to visit him, have a meal with him, have a chance to meet him face-to-face. -face. It obviously meant a lot to him. What is it that you find that you get the most out of visits like that? It's for new players. Well, with guys, you you know, you're just seeing the other dugout. You, you think you know them. You don't really, you know, until you get in that setting where you can kind of sit down. We sat down for about three hours and talked about everything from different experiences we've had on the way up to getting to where we're at now to, you know, things he's done in the last couple of years, how, you know, with the different teams he's been on have kind of played against the Mariners and on the flip side, how we've approached him. And you're just trying to build relationship. And along the way, and, you know, what I try to do is really listen, listen to the players, try to get a feel for them, and hopefully it allows him to adapt quicker to, to our culture and our environment here with the Mariners. So obviously it's been another busy offseason for the Mariners and Jerry Depoto. What is the latest time of night or early morning that you got a phone call or a text message from Jerry about a trade? Well, one of the I talked about, I was traveling a bunch this offseason, and, and my family, we were on a trip to Costa Rica. And uh, somehow Jerry tracked me down in Costa Rica. <laughs> Uh, and it was actually a couple days before Thanksgiving, and uh, it was to tell me uh, kind of what was in the works and involving the Arizona Diamondback trade, where we traded uh, Taiwan Walker and Marte, you know, for Segura and, and Hanniger and Curtis. So um, really, no matter where I'm at in the world, he will find me and, and track me down. Hey, we've got, you brought up Mitch Hanniger's name, a guy who, who uh, looked like he would be in right field for the Mariners this year. It, a really pleasant guy. It was our first chance to get to know him and meet him here at FanFest. What have you gotten to know about Mitch Hanniger? Well, first of all, he's very serious about his game. He, he's made some adjustments in the last year and kind of got himself into a position where he's getting the opportunity that he's, we're giving him. He's earned it. Uh, but he really understands who he is. I think he's at the point in his career where he's ready to take the next step forward. And um, fortunate for us, it, it fits perfectly. We can give him that opportunity. And he's at that age, he's 25 years old, he, we're going to give him a shot to play every day, and I think he can, he's ready to handle it. So we talk about getting phone calls from Jerry about the Diamondbacks trade. How many calls or texts do you get from Jerry about trades that actually don't end up happening? A, a lot. Probably about twice or three times as many than actually do happen. You know, we're always looking at how to upgrade the roster. And it's not just Jerry, but it's everybody in the front office and different things that players that we may be able to acquire that can do something different or fill a hole where we think we've got in our lineup or in our pitching, pitching staff. So uh, it's constant. It's nonstop. I know we've had a lot of turnover here the last couple of years. I don't think that will continue over the next few years just because I think we'll start to stabilize now as things move forward. For the Mariners, offensively, we talk all the time about the big three, right? You see pictures of the big three outside Safeco Field. You see them up along the concourse talking, of course, about Robinson Cano, Nelson Cruz, and Kyle Seeger. Your first year last year as a skipper, you inherit those three guys, and they were as productive, if not more so, than you could have probably even hoped for. What did those three gentlemen mean to you, both their production on the field, but also what they brought to the team overall in the clubhouse? I think you can see what they bring to our team on the field. You know, their ability to, you know, to drive the ball out of the ballpark, the defense, you know, kind of how they lead. 
more importantly for me is kind of what they do in our clubhouse. And really from day one last year, knowing that those are the veteran guys and that's our core, I really needed to have them to get them on board with, with what I wanted to do. And from day one, they were all open to it. Uh, of course, I've got to prove myself and earn their trust over time. But we were able to do it. And uh, all three of those guys stepped up. And they're, they're really key leaders on our club in the clubhouse just as much as they are on the field. Well, now it's your turn. We're going to have a chance to pass around some microphones, and you can ask some questions of your manager, Scott Service. So who's got a question? Looks like we've got, we've got a beard hat in the house right here. Um, I heard uh, that Ken Grivy's son was, was drafted, and then Dan Wilson's son was drafted, but they never were signed. Why, why didn't you sign them to, um, uh, to a contract? I think they were both drafted, but again, I, that's probably a question better for Jerry. <laughs> he really oversees the draft and, and our scouting people there. Uh, obviously, you know, those two young players uh, are tied to the Mariners, and there's a lot of things that go into. Sometimes players are drafted, and, you know, it's just not the right time to sign them for whatever reason. But I don't know all the details on that. Better off staying in our scouting department on that one. How you doing, sir? Uh, Jerry Bermudez, Southern California, but I'm over here at Fort Lewis. Okay. Um, how do you plan on keeping uh, King Felix fresh for the entire season as far as like pitching count and stuff? Because it's going to be a, a rough ride in the AL West. I mean, Houston is pretty tough. And then the Angels, I mean, they're, they're due to bounce back. So how, how do you uh, manage, you know, as far as like the pitching count and stuff, keeping the roster fresh and as well as the, um, the hitting as well? Because, I mean, there was times where y'all score about maybe 10 runs, but then there were those times where maybe just one or two runs came across the plate. So how, how are you going to manage that this year? coming into 2017? Uh, first, uh, a hit on the Felix and, and where he's at. I think, obviously, Felix had a little bit of a down year last year. And uh, when you look at it, it's the first time he's ever been hurt. So he missed six or seven weeks with us there. And we desperately missed him when he was gone. We were a different team. Uh, getting prepared for this season, uh, he is going to pitch in, in the WBC. Uh, he, his workouts are starting earlier. Uh, he's getting his arm in shape, but more importantly, getting his whole body in shape. I think he, he realizes he's at that point in his career. He's got to do a little extra. You can't just get by on the natural talent, and he is really getting after it and working really, really hard. So I feel really good about Felix and his ability to bounce back. Uh, in, in terms of our offensive team, and, and as you all know, you watch our games, we play a lot of them. There are going to be some ups and downs throughout the season. We will get on really hot stretches and then cool off. Hopefully with the way our team is put together this year, with the speed that we have and the athleticism, you know, speed never goes in a slump. And we have guys that now can generate a little bit more offense, getting on base different ways and keeping pressure on the t other teams other than just us hitting home runs. So I think we'll be more consistent offensively, but uh, our guys are really excited to get going. Uh, the players that were here last year are really uh, fired up about the trades we've made and the additions we have coming into the ball club. Do you think Mike Zanino will do good this year? That's a good question. I like your hat, too. <laughs> uh, Mike, obviously, we, we had a plan with him last year. We wanted to restart him and send him back to Tacoma, which is absolutely the right thing to do. He needed it. He needed to get his confidence back. And I think you saw when he came back to us at the big league level, like first game out, he hit just two home runs. And he was really uh, uh, carried us offensively for about two months. He fell off a little bit in September, and I know he was frustrated by that, but Mike Zanino is going to be our number one catcher going into camp. Uh, we also picked up a, a veteran backup, Carlos Ruiz, who's been to a World Series before. Uh, 
played the most of his career with the Philadelphia Phillies, and he and Mike are going to make a really nice pair. But Zeno's going to have a nice year. There, there's no doubt in my mind. Hey, Scott, how do you motivate the team in the hitting situations? As far as the, the hitting goes, uh, I'm probably one of the, probably the luckiest manager in baseball. I've got Edgar Martinez on my staff. Not only was Edgar obviously a great player, uh, but he, he's got that pedigree and his ability to relate to our players, which is really unique and really important. Now, everybody hits a little bit differently, and I think to Edgar's credit, he doesn't try to teach them all to hit like he did uh, because everybody's got different strengths and can do things. You know, they're built a little differently, but uh, as far as motivating our guys, obviously our preparation, uh, we changed some things last year. Uh, about our daily meetings and how we're trying to attack the opposition, uh, how their pitcher, what his strengths and weaknesses are. Uh, we'll continue to, you know, probably even spend more time with that this year. Uh, we've added also Scott Brocious uh, to our coaching staff, and Scott and Edgar work very well together. And Scott will kind of help Edgar and probably take over a bigger role on our preparation there. So the biggest thing is making sure guys are in the right spot, know what to expect. And as you all know, it's really hard to hit in the major leagues. There's so much failure involved. And really keeping our guys upbeat, don't letting them get down on themselves is really a big part of being a good hitting coach. So lucky for me, we've got two great ones. Speaking to the big three, with the addition of Dyson to the lineup, do you think that he's going? those three are going to get a better pitch selection with the threat that he poses on the bases? But it certainly helps not, you know, with Gerard Dyson and Gene Segura at the top of the lineup, especially with the year Segura had last year. Uh, we're expecting those guys to get on base well above league average. So there'll be more traffic, more opportunities for the, the middle of our lineup to drive in runs. Uh, you'd hope to think they'd get a few more fastballs because those guys are going to be threats to steal. Uh, unfortunately, <laughs> they're not just going to lay fastballs in there for Robinson Cano and Nelson Cruz or Kyle. So uh, our guys, I think, will just benefit by being more traffic on the bases, having more opportunities to drive in runs. Uh, it puts more stress on the pitcher, which is what we're hoping for. Is there, is there any um, umpires that you're intentionally short with based on past experience or disagreements with them? Uh, the umpires are, <laughs> you know, there's some guys that are easy to relate to. Uh, and talk with some of the umpires, the veteran guys were umpiring when I was playing. And the fact that I was a catcher, you always have a little bit tighter uh, relationship with the umpires. You spend more time talking to them and with them. But uh, they're all a little bit different. Um, our team likes to have fun with them. Uh, I know we started something last year. Uh, Leonis Martinez, a guy who likes to chirp a lot in the dugout, and, and he would constantly be on the umpires. And, uh, you know, it's funny. They know he's doing it. Uh, but we got late in the season, there was a game, and about the first inning of the game, we're in Minnesota, and the umpire just turned to me, and he said, if you don't get him to shut up, I'm going to kick you out. <laughs> yeah, and I looked over, and Leonis is like, got that look on his face, I go, Leonis, just keep doing what you're doing. As long as we're scoring runs, I'll deal with the umpire. But, uh, you know, they're all different personalities, and, you know, it's, you just have to have a working relationship with them. Do you have any good luck charms or superstitious things you do on game days? Yeah, I'm very superstitious. Uh, I hate to admit it, but, uh, you know, everything from the pen I use to sign the lineup card, uh, if we win two or three in a row, I'm not changing. Uh, to, you know, just the, the routine. You just, it's, baseball is so routine-oriented. You're doing the same thing over and over. Like I said, I, I leave for spring training here uh, in about 10 days, and 
once we get together on February 15th, it's about 235 days of doing the exact same thing. So it, you, you get into routine, you know, whether you're putting the same socks on or wearing the same T-shirt under your jersey, you know, eating the same things before a game, always having a cup of coffee in my hand as I go to the dugout. Whatever seems to work, you know, I, I stick with it and try to ride it out as long as I can. It's, it's just the nature. I think everybody in our clubhouse has superstitions. What's the hardest part about managing the team? What's the hardest part about managing the team? Uh, I, I think two things. One is... Uh, you have to be very patient, you know, whether you're, you're coaching or managing youth baseball, okay, or the big leagues, you have to keep in mind it's a really hard game to play. And guys are going to make mistakes. They're going to screw up. They're going to strike out. They're going to walk players. I mean, it, it's part of it. So you just have to be patient, knowing that eventually they are going to, you know, the, the cream rises to the top and the good players always end up doing pretty well. And I think on top of that is being consistent. You know, I, I'm not the type, if we lose four or five games in a row to, to shut the doors and start, you know, yelling and screaming at guys because it really doesn't work. So I try to be the same as best I can, no matter if we've won four or five in a row or we've lost four and five in a row. So be patient and be consistent. Well, it's time for our final question, which comes from our Alaska Airlines free chat text submission. So let's take a look at Mariner's vision and find out this final question for manager Scott Service. And Scott, what is your favorite <laughs> restaurant in Seattle? Now, this is, a, this is a tough question. We saved the hardest hitting for the last one. Well, there, there's a couple. There's a lot of great ones in Seattle. Uh, Metropolitan Grill downtown is awesome. Uh, El Gaucho, I think, is a place that I've been to a couple times. Uh, you know, there's a lot to choose from here. But those are two that, that pop into my head, you know, right away. We're very, very fortunate. Seattle is awesome. I, I love the city. And more importantly, I love being a Mariner. So I appreciate everybody coming out. We, we are uh, looking forward to a big year this year and taking the next step. So thanks again. Pitch on the way, swing and a drive deep to left field. We have liftoff. Goodbye baseball. Upper deck in left field. Down the line. Jay Buhner reaches the upper deck in left field here with the Kingdom. A mammoth two-run shot. And the Mariners take a 2-0 lead for Bone, his 43rd home run of the season. See you later!